I want to invite you to grab your copy of God's Word this morning. Join me once again in the book of Galatians as we continue our series through this book called Freedom Through Christ. As we begin to work our way through Galatians chapter 4, verse 21 through 31 this morning is where we will spend our time as we do that. I want to ask you a simple question. Have you found yourself ever at a place where you thought you could do something better than someone else could? Nobody? Just me? Okay. My dad uh, owned a lawn care and landscaping company, and I learned early on how to back up a trailer that was behind a truck into a spot that was very, very small. And for me, I struggle watching other people try to back up. You go down to the boat ramp here at Fort Hamer Road, it's bad, y'all. It's bad. I think I could, I could do that better than them. You may feel that way at work sometimes, where you're at work and you think someone else has this responsibility they're, they're supposed to fulfill, and you look and you go, I, I could do that better than them. Or maybe they get the promotion that you want and you think, ah, oh, I'm so much better than them at this. I don't know if you remember that as a kid playing sports and someone else got the opportunity to do something that you thought you could do. They got to pitch or they got to hit or whatever it was and you thought in your mind, I'm so much better than them. I should be the one who's actually doing that. Maybe you were watching college football yesterday and you were watching the coaches thinking, how dumb can they be? How do they not see what I see sitting here on my couch watching the game? Why don't they just run this play? You know, it's interesting that as we've been walking our way through the book of Galatians and Paul's emphasis over the last four and a half chapters, and once again here, Paul is highlighting a problem that's going on within these churches in Galatia. False teachers had entered into these churches and were saying to the people, You can be saved from your sin by trusting in Jesus Christ, plus you need something else to add to that. You need circumcision, or you need to follow the law to a certain degree, or you need to celebrate festivals and new moons and things like that. You need Jesus Christ, plus something else to be saved. And from the very beginning, Paul has been hammering this truth over and over and over again, and that is salvation comes through faith in Jesus Christ alone. There's nothing else that you or I could do to earn God's favor to save ourselves from our sin. You can't be righteous enough or good enough to earn God's favor. We are totally dependent on Jesus Christ for our salvation. Paul has been hammering this over and over and over again. I told you a couple of weeks ago, like it seems as if Paul is just saying the same thing over and over and over again. But parents, you know why? Because sometimes your kids don't listen. Sometimes it doesn't sink down deep in their hearts. And for Paul, he wants these believers here and he wants us to recognize and understand that salvation is not on the basis of our good works before God. Salvation is on the basis of what Jesus Christ has done for us. And not only is salvation on the basis of that, but our ability to live out the Christian life is not on the basis of what we can do. It's totally on the basis of what the Holy Spirit of God does within us. 
So our utter dependence on Jesus Christ is the foundation of the gospel that Paul is preaching and he's reminding them of here once again in Galatians chapter 4 beginning in verse 21. And so as we read the text this morning, I want you to notice that Paul is going to lay out for us an Old Testament story. And then he's going to make a connection between that Old Testament story and the covenant of grace. And then he's going to say, now in light of this, here's what that means for your life. So story, covenant of grace, and then here's what this means for you. Let's look at what Paul says, beginning in verse 21 of Galatians chapter 4. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Now this may be interpreted allegorically or as an analogy. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now, Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. Now, you brothers, like Isaac are children of promise. But just as at that time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, so also it is now. But what does the Scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman." Father, we ask this morning that you would open our eyes that we would be able to see, that you would open our ears that we would be able to hear, and that you would open our hearts and our minds that we would be ready to respond to your word and to your spirit. We ask all of this in Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. As we look at the text this morning, I want you to write down this main idea. It'll frame our time together. And it's this truth that Paul has been hammering over and over and over again in this book, Allow your identity in Jesus Christ to define your reality. Allow your identity in Jesus Christ to define your reality. So what Paul has been arguing is, here is who you are in Jesus Christ. Now let that define how you live. You have been saved from your sins on the basis of what Jesus Christ has done for you. You didn't earn your salvation. So allow that to define your reality as you live that out. Not only can you not earn your own salvation, but you are desperately in need of the Holy Spirit of God at work within you, not so that you earn God's favor, but so that you are able to do what he's called you to do. So regardless of whether you're here this morning and you're not yet a follower of Jesus Christ, or whether you are a follower of Jesus, the same thing holds true for you and for me. We are desperately in need of what Jesus Christ has accomplished for us on the cross, and it's on the basis of what He has done that defines who we are. 
I want you to notice what Paul does beginning in verse 21 through 23, and you're going to have to follow with me. So we're going we're to hit rewind a bit. We're going to go back to the Old Testament and the book of Genesis, and then we're going to work our way forward. We're going to see that Paul is going to make an argument here. He's going to make a connection between the story in the book of Genesis and this idea of a covenant of works versus a covenant of grace. And he's going to use that as an idea for us to recognize and to understand that for us, as followers of Jesus Christ, for these believers who were here, that to accept a covenant of works, to try to earn God's favor on the basis of their works, is pointless. It doesn't define the reality. So let's look, beginning in verse 21. This is what Paul says, and if you're taking notes, I want you to write down the word story. And here we're going to encounter a tale of two sons. One son's name is Ishmael. The other son's name is Isaac. They are both sons of Abraham, the one who God had made a promise to that he would bless and use to be a blessing to the nation. So notice verse 21, Paul writes, tell me you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? So the argument that's been made by the Judaizers, those who are coming in and teaching a false gospel of works to the believers here, what he's saying is this, do you really want to follow the Old Testament law? And he essentially is saying, have you read it? Like, have you even paid attention to what's in the Old Testament in the first five books? In fact, he's going to go with this story, this story that we find the beginning of in Genesis chapter 12, and then we see it open up a little bit more in Genesis chapter 15, and then Genesis 16 and 17 and 21. That's what he's about to outline for us, beginning in verse 22, these two sons of Abraham. Verse 22, it is written that Abraham had two sons, one son by a slave woman and one by a free woman. Let's back up for just a little bit in Genesis chapter 12. So if you remember in Genesis chapter 12, God comes to Abraham and says to him, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to create out of you multitude of people, a nation. And through that nation, I'm going to bless the world. Through that nation, I'm going to send my Messiah, my Savior into the world. You are going to be a blessing to everyone. And you say, man, that sounds great. Wouldn't you love to be in Abraham's position at this point in time? To have God say, I'm going to use you to make a global impact on the world by sending the Messiah through your lineage. That's what I'm going to do. Here's the problem. And here's the problem that Abraham understood in the moment. He doesn't have any children. He doesn't have a son. So God, how are you going to create a great nation when I don't even have a child. Now we look and we go, man, God is able to accomplish anything, right? God is able to fulfill this promise that he made to Abraham. But oftentimes, I don't know if you ever experienced this, I know in my life, sometimes when I'm waiting on God to do something, sometimes I look and go, I could do that better. Maybe let me take things into my own hands. Put me behind the wheel. Let me back the trailer in. God, it seems like you're not working on my timetable. And at this point in time, that's what we see that Abraham does. So Abraham is waiting on God to give him a child, a son. He's waiting for God to fulfill this promise. And a decade goes by and Abraham's like, God, you're going to fulfill this? And in this, Abraham's not a young man. 
In fact, Abraham's kind of creeping on up there in age. I mean, at this point in time, when he begins to take things into his own hands, he's approaching 86 years old. Some of you may be 86, and you're like, that's really not that old, Pastor. (laughs) But if you're trying to have children, that's kind of old, isn't it? And at this point in time, that's exactly what's going on in Abraham's life. And so what we see that Paul reminds us is that Abraham had two sons. One was by a slave woman and one was by a free woman. So here's the story. Catch what's going on here. Abraham and his wife, Sarah, have a conversation. And what they look and say is, God has not fulfilled his promise. So let us get behind the wheel and take things into our own hands. Let us be in the driver's seat. And so if you notice what he says here is that it was a son by a slave woman. He'll say in verse 23, the son of the slave was born according to the flesh. And in that, what he did, Abraham, through his wife's convincing, said, I'll take her servant as my wife and I'll have children by her so that I can help God fulfill God's promise to me. And after that transpires, the Lord comes to Abraham and he says, you missed it. In fact, do you not trust that I can provide a child for you? That I can fulfill this promise that I made to you? Too many times in our lives, you may, this may be for you this morning, you want to take things into your own hands when the Lord is saying, hey, just wait. Just be patient on me to fulfill what I promised that I'm going to fulfill. Abraham struggled with that, so he says, I'm going to take things into my own hands. And he took Hagar, had a child with her. The child's name was Ishmael. He's one of the sons that's being referenced here. But God says, he is not the son of promise. He's not the son that I've made my covenant with to continue your lineage. In fact, He says to Abraham, after Abraham has tried to do it himself, Abraham, you're still going to have a child. In fact, he says, Sarah, your wife, is going to conceive and bear a child. You say, well, God can do anything, and yes, he can, but think about this, that she's 90 years old. Amen or ouch, right? 90 years old. Abraham is a hundred years old when God finally fulfills the promise and she conceives and has a son and his name is Isaac, the son of promise, the one that God had said he would send. At this point in time, we see that Paul is calling the attention of this group of believers here and the Judaizers who were coming in and saying that if you're going to be a child of Abraham, you have to follow the law perfectly. You have to do this. When Paul has said, you can't do that. Jesus Christ is the only one who could. You are utterly and totally dependent on him for your salvation. So we see here this story of two sons I want you to notice, though, that Paul continues in verse 24, and he says that these two sons represent two covenants. 
He's going to make this connection here. He's going to say that this is, this is an allegory or an analogy that corresponds with the conversation that he's having right now with this group of believers in Galatia. He wants them to understand what's going on as he is preaching to them the gospel of Jesus Christ and saying it doesn't measure up with the gospel of works. Here, he's going to put some clarity around that. So I want you to notice we move from a tale of two sons to a tale of two covenants, beginning in verse 24. Now this, this story of the two sons may be interpreted allegorically or as an analogy. These two women are two covenants. He says, one is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery, and she is Hagar. Now Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. I want you to notice the connection that a, that's being made here between Abraham's two sons, Ishmael and Isaac, the son of the flesh, the son of promise. He's going to say this corresponds with a covenant of works and a covenant of promise or a covenant of grace. As you're thinking about that, I want you to put this picture in your mind that for you, you buy presents for your kids to open on Christmas Day, and those presents are sitting underneath the tree. And your kids wake up on Christmas morning way too early, and they run to the tree, and they are ready to tear open the, pay, to tear open the wrapping paper and to get their presents. But you say to them, kids, hang on just a second. You think that we are just giving you these presents because we love you. But in fact, to get these presents, you're going to have to earn them. Some of y'all are like, hang on, let me write this down. (laughs) How does that work? But at this point in time, you look at your kids and say, you're going to have to earn these presents, so we're going to start by cleaning the house before you open the presents. You're like, man, what a way to torture your kids, right? But that's what you're going to have to do. You're going to have to clean the house. So you look at Johnny and you say, all right, Johnny, you're going to need to get the the duster and you're going to have to dust everything. And you look at Sally and you say, you've got to get the vacuum cleaner. We're going to vacuum and then we're going to clean toilets after that. And we're going to clean everything up. And your kids are like, oh, oh, okay. They get it all cleaned up and they're like, all right, back to the Christmas tree. Let's open the, and you're like, ah, hang on just a second. Um, You didn't really earn enough to open those presents. And so now what we're going to do is we're going to go out and we're going to pull weeds out of the flower beds. Your kids are like, I don't get that. Like, well, you got to earn your presents. You got to earn your Christmas presents. And then after they pull weeds, you say, ah, you're you're not quite there yet. You're close. We're going to wash the vehicles now, (laughs) vacuum them out inside. And, and, And it just goes perpetually on till you're into the new year and your kids are like, where are my presents? So in your minds, I want you to make that connection with a covenant of works. Paul has outlined this for us numerous times, that for us to come and to think that we can earn God's favor is like that. The reality is that Paul is arguing that we, in fact, are not under a covenant of works. We're under a covenant of grace, that God in his grace sent his son, Jesus Christ, to this earth. 
that he lived a perfect sinless life, that he took your sin and my sin upon himself on the cross, that he paid the debt that we owed there for our sins. He died, was buried, but he rose again on the third day, securing salvation for us so that for God, he looks at us and says, run to the Christmas tree and open the presents. They are a free gift for you. That's what salvation is. So the contrast of a covenant of works and a covenant of grace, a covenant that says you can earn God's favor versus a covenant that says it's only on the basis of what Jesus Christ has done can you earn the favor of God. So notice how he describes it in verse 25. He says that Hagar is born children of slavery. Mount Sinai is the location that he describes here. It's the moment in time where God gives his law to his people, where he gives them the Ten Commandments, and then he says, this is the standard that you must measure up to. We've said this over and over and over again in this series. The problem is what you know and what I know is that we can never perfectly measure up to the standard that God has set. Every single one of us are born sinners, and we sin, and sin separates us from God. And so What Paul is trying to help these believers here, what he's trying to help us understand is that a covenant of works, trying to earn God's favor through what we do, trying to be a good person, will never measure up to the standard that God has set. He says, essentially, you are functioning like Abraham when he tried to take over from God's authority and to do it himself. And he's saying, it doesn't work like that. Notice the contrast that he makes here, though. He says in verse 26, but the Jerusalem above, this covenant of promise that's connected with Isaac is free. She is our mother. For it is written, rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor, for the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. Paul is saying, as he's quoting the Old Testament here, recognize that this covenant of promise has come as a free gift of salvation for you if you will trust Jesus Christ as your Savior. So here's the thing. You may have come in this morning and you have never taken the step of trusting in Jesus Christ for your salvation. Maybe you've come in this morning and you've kind of thought, man, I think I can probably live a pretty good enough life that when it's all measured out in the end, that God's going to look and go, I need that guy or I need that girl on my team. What I want you to recognize is that the reality is you are in slavery, if that's your mindset. You will never get out of that, trying to earn God's favor by your good works. Let me say to you, if you're a follower of Jesus here this morning, the same thing holds true for you as well. If in your mind you are thinking at this point in time that I'm saved from my sin because of what Christ has done, but to earn the favor of God, for God to like me, there's things I got to do. Like there's this heavenly checklist that if I don't check the boxes, that God's going to look and go, hmm, yeah, you really didn't measure up this week, did you? Maybe you had a great week last week. You're like, Pastor, I read my Bible every day. I mean, I prayed. I mean, I shared the gospel with someone. My spouse and I, we didn't get in an argument this past week. I didn't beat my kids. 
Like I had a great week. And you may have come in this morning and you think, man, I'm ready to praise the Lord. He must be happy with me. Look at last week. But the reality is for us as well as followers of Jesus, we are accepted and loved on the basis not of what we've done, but of what Jesus Christ has done on our behalf. So regardless of whether you had a bad week or you had a good week, your standing before God is on the basis of what Christ has done for you. At this point in time, that's what Paul is trying to help these believers recognize and understand as a false gospel has come in and tried to sway them in a different direction to depend on works to earn the favor of God instead of depending on Christ's finished work for the favor that they already have received. I want you to notice beginning in verse 28, Paul's going to offer an explanation, and he's going to say, here's where the rubber meets the road in your life today. It's a tale of two realities. You either this morning have adopted this mindset of a covenant of works, or you are sitting under a covenant of promise, a covenant of grace this morning, through what Christ Jesus has accomplished for you. Notice what he says beginning in verse 28, now you brothers like Isaac, are children of promise. He says to these believers who are being swayed to maybe turn back and try to earn the favor of God on the basis of their works, he says, no, 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 listen to your reality. Here is who you are because of what Christ has done for you. You are accepted in God's eyes, not on the basis of your works, but on the basis of what Christ has done. And not only that, to live out the Christian life that you're called to live out, you can't do it in your own strength and power. You are totally dependent on the Holy Spirit of God at work within you to bear fruit in your life. We can partner with God in what he's doing in our life, but he doesn't turn it totally over to us and say, all right, now that you're saved, good luck. He says, now that you're saved, let me send a helper to you who will enable you and equip you so that you can live out what I've called you to live out. That's what Paul is saying to this group of believers here. Here is your reality. This is your identity in Jesus Christ. This is what he's done for you. So instead of looking and turning to a covenant of works, live out your reality. See, the truth is, if we do that, it'll transform our lives. If you're a follower of Jesus this morning, if you will grasp, allow the word of God to drill down deep in your heart and recognize that your acceptance before God is on the basis of what Jesus Christ has done for you, it will change everything about your life. If you will recognize as a follower of Jesus this morning that the power you desperately need to live out the Christian life is totally a work of God's Holy Spirit within you, it will transform the way that you live your life. The problem I think many of us face at this point in time is we may have trusted Jesus as our Savior. We may have said, Pastor, I, I believe that my standing before God is on the basis of what Jesus Christ has done. But if we really drill down deep in our lives, we like checklists. We like the heavenly scorecard and trying to look and figure up, are we measuring up? Are we not measuring up? Now, don't hear me this morning saying that the works that are evident in our life, the fruit that is evident in our life is not important. It is important. 
James says it's dead faith that doesn't have works that accompany that. But the works don't save you. And the works don't earn your favor before God. You've received that because of what Jesus Christ has done for you. At this point in time, that's what Paul is reminding these believers of. Brothers, like Isaac, you are children of promise. Verse 29, but just as at that time, he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, so also it is now. He's describing back in the book of Genesis when Ishmael had looked at Isaac when Abraham and the Lord had said, Isaac is the one who I'm going to bless and going to use in an incredible way. In fact, the scripture says that Ishmael looked on him with contempt, with disgust, mad that that was going on. And what Paul is making the connection here for is to say to these believers, these false teachers who have entered into the church, these Judaizers who are trying to get you to turn from the one true gospel and to submit to a gospel of works-based salvation, he says to them, they are no different than this situation we see play out in Genesis chapter 21. They're just like Ishmael. They hate you because of the free gift of salvation that you have received. They are wanting to burden you with following the law to earn God's favor instead of resting in what you have already earned because of what Christ has done. So how then should we respond? How should these believers here respond? He says in verse 30, what does the scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son. For the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. It's exactly what we see transpire that Abraham, the Lord says to him, hey, in light of this, you need to send away Hagar and Ishmael. My covenant is not with them. My covenant is with Isaac. In this moment, Paul is looking at this group of believers and saying to them, you want to know how to respond to those who are bringing in a false gospel, he says, cast them out. Don't give them a seat at the table. Don't allow them an opportunity to proclaim a false gospel to you. Cast them out. As we think about that reality this morning, what we have to recognize and understand is we live in a world right now that is filled with false gospels. And so for our responsibility is pastors here at North River Church is to stand on the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ without waver. And when there is error that pops us, for us to call that out and to cast that out and to say, that's not going to happen here. In fact, that's what Paul is saying to this group of believers here. That's the response that they need to take. Verse 31, so brothers, we are not children of the slave. We're not children of works. We're not children of earn your salvation. We're not children of be sanctified by all that you do. He says, we are children of the free woman. We are children of promise. We are children of a covenant of grace. What Jesus Christ has done on our behalf is our reality. I want to ask you if you would to bow your heads with me this morning and to close your eyes. I want to give you an opportunity to respond to the Lord right now as we sing and 
Maybe you've come in today and for you, you've never taken that step of trusting Jesus Christ as your Savior. Maybe you've come in today and you've kind of had in your mind the thought that you could earn God's favor by being a good person. You could earn God's favor by your works. I hope this morning that you've heard the truth of God's word. It's impossible. Say, Pastor, then is there any hope? And the answer is yes. And his name's Jesus. Jesus Christ, the very Son of God, came to this earth. He lived a sinless and perfect life. And he took your sin and my sin upon himself on the cross and paid for those. He died, was buried, and rose again on the third day, securing salvation for you and for me. And this morning, he offers it to you as a free gift. Simply receive that gift today. Admit that you are a sinner and you can't save yourself. Believe that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came, lived, died on the cross, was buried and rose again, and he paid for your debt of sin. Confess with your mouth today that Jesus Christ is Lord of your life. Receive that gift of salvation today. If that's a step that you need to take just a little bit, I'd encourage you to make your way down front as we sing. You can grab my hand or Pastor Aaron's hand and just let us know that that's a step that you need to take. Maybe you want to fill out a connection card and just check that box that you want to know more about a relationship with Jesus Christ. We'd love nothing more than to help you take that step. Maybe you're a follower of Jesus here this morning, and for you, you say, Pastor, the reality is I live as if I'm still trying to earn God's favor. I want to free you from that this morning to recognize and understand you already have it. Not because of what you've done, but because of what Jesus Christ has done for you. I want to encourage you to rest in that reality this morning. To allow the Lord to work in your heart and in your life to empower you to live out the Christian life that he's called you to live out. Living it out, not to try to earn his favor, but from a position of having already earned it because of what Jesus Christ has done for you. Father, we ask that you would work in our hearts and lives now. You would help us to respond to your word. We ask that in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Would you stand and sing? If you need someone to pray with, we'd love to pray with you, but you respond to the Lord this morning.